I would love to do this evening is to just clarify in some of our minds what is it that we, I'm going to put that that way, um, clarify in our minds what is it that we believe God is up to in the world and clarify what does that mean then for us. Because there's a danger that we approach Christianity as if it's a faith with a set of rules and then what you do is you have a belief system with a set of rules and then you behave in such a way and then one day you're going to get to heaven. And the whole game of faith is about getting somewhere else, mass evacuation to some better place. But actually the Christian faith is not that at, at, at all. The fact that we might get to heaven is like a uh, piece of a much bigger kind of jigsaw. So the next couple of Sundays, we're just going to keep looking at what is the resurrection and what does it mean and just keep pushing into that a little bit. Sobe is going to bring us our reading in a moment. And as that is happening, uh, I've got a little bowl of uh, what I'm calling grave clothes. And what I would love you to do is to don't just take any, there's no grading, they're all, they're all roughly the same. This morning there seemed to be a little level of, oh, that one looks nicer than this one, I want that grave clothes rather than that one. And they're, they're all smelling of um, kind of, uh, well, it's brute, but it's like frankincense. That's, the, that's kind of, the, the root of brute is funky. It smells nice, doesn't it? So if you want to take that, what I would love you to do is either wrap it around your wrist, wrap it around your fingers, wrap it around your hand in some shape or form. Just kind of wrap it around there as a reminder of the grave clothes uh, that we uh, see Jesus uh, kind of clothed in. And so he's going to come and bring us our reading. Can we give a little bit of a whoop? I gave her a long time to practice. So she's been, she's been up all night. So it's uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Yep. 1 Corinthians 15 in the Church Bible is one, page 1208 from verses 53 to 56. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 53 to 56, page 1208 of the Church Bible. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and immortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Thank you, Sobe. Oh, man. So has everybody got their grave clothes? Wonderful. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a couple of passages from the Bible, and I'm just going to ask you the question, what links them together? Okay, what links the passages together? So, Matthew chapter 8. When he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before Jesus and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will be alive. Jesus got up and went uh, with him, and so did the disciples. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. I love that. What a bizarre little line in there. They were playing pipes. In my head, I've got bagpipes going on. I'm not, I'm not, it's not very kind of Middle Eastern, but that's kind of what's going on. Somebody's playing the, uh, the pipe, and he says, go away. The girl is not dead, but, what's it say? Do you remember? She's, she's asleep. She's only sleeping. And they laughed at him. When the crowd, the crowd were then put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. 
So that's Matthew 28. What about Matthew, uh, John uh, 11? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. Jesus called him with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So Jesus' friend Lazarus. But Luke 7:11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain with his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. He then went up and touched the stretcher where the boy was being carried, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Got this one. Matthew 27. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tomb broke open, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. What's the link? Resurrections, yeah. Hmm? Jesus, yeah, there's a link. That's a good Sunday school answer, isn't it? (laughs) Safe. Jesus. Yeah, well done. Jesus is in there. Uh, He's mentioned. That's great. What else is the link? He calls him to get up and get... What? Because oh, Jesus tells some people to do something. Okay, so Jesus orders them. Yeah, I like that. Anything else? For me, the link here, friends, is there's funerals happening. And Jesus is a funeral director's worst nightmare in that we've got boys who are heading towards being buried. The funeral procession is happening. The hearse is going down the road and they're literally, the flowers are on the back of the hearse and Jesus comes up and he touches the hearse and by touching the hearse, the boy comes back to life. We've got another girl, she's dead, she's laying dead in her own home and Jesus interrupts the funeral that is about to happen. Funerals happen moments after death. Because bodies would start to rot really quick. So the girl has just died. They're preparing for where they're going to bury her. And Jesus goes in and interrupts her funeral. Lazarus has literally been in the tomb. His funeral is still happening. Funerals in the Middle East would would take three, four, five days. They would stretch on for a week sometimes, depending on who it was that was being buried. And Jesus interrupts Lazarus' funeral week by calling him out of the tomb. You can't even be buried in the tomb around Jesus because as he dies, he cries out, it is finished, and tombs crack open, and people literally coming out of their tombs. Jesus is a funeral director's nightmare because Jesus is the one that interrupts funerals. I love this, Matthew 28. Jesus can't even let his own death happen. It says here, Matthew, the, uh, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is He's risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where they lay. So often, or very often, we make the gospel this. You have been naughty. And because you have been naughty, and we have a religious word for your naughtiness, we call it sin. And because of your sin, your naughtiness, God can't have you in his presence. 
And we end up going, well, why is that? What, what, is, what is it about us being naughty that means that God can't continue his presence? And we get really confused. We get confused about the word sin. Uh, and we get so confused very often about what is the gospel. And very often we make the gospel this. You have been bad, therefore you can't come into the good God's presence. So Jesus comes to die on the cross that you might go from being bad to being good. And that language really confuses people, particularly because some people are actually not that bad. I used to work uh, in Birmingham, where Alex was my member of my youth group. There used to be a particular family there. And uh, the mum was a Christian, but the dad wasn't. And I used to spend some time with this guy. And he would often say to me, I don't need your Christianity because I'm not a bad person. Well, if the, the rules for entering God's kingdom was about being good or bad then we might have a different threshold on stuff. But friends, the gospel isn't, you have been bad, you need to get good again. The gospel is this, you are dead. You are dead and you need to come alive again. The gospel is a gospel of Jesus interrupting boys' funerals, girls' funerals, young, young men's funerals, and interrupting your funeral, my funeral. We're on death row. The, thing, the things that we've done and that we've said have not only damaged our relationship with God, it's killing us. And we're killing ourselves. I love the, the reading that Sobe read. It just says here, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And he says, the sting of death is sin. We often make the problem sin, but sin is only the sting of the bigger problem, death. Does that make sense? And we get caught up on telling people how naughty they've been and how sinful they've been. Friends, that is nothing but the sting of the greater problem. And that the greater problem is we're dying. We're killing ourselves. We're killing ourselves by the way that we think about ourselves. We're killing ourselves by what we do to ourselves, the way that we behave towards ourselves. In fact, we should have really understood this like long ago. And I don't know how Christians have made it so much about sin. I, I blame the Spanish Inquisition. It's, I, I think a lot of it is their fault. But uh, if you never watched Monty Python, then that will be lost on you. But Ezekiel 37 is a, a little prophecy about what was going to happen when Jesus came and when the resurrection spirit that was going to raise Jesus from the dead was going to be at work. So let me just read this to you. Ezekiel 37. And most of you will just recognize it. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. And set me in the middle of a valley. And it was full of dead bones. Uh, he led me back and forth among them. And I saw many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. In other words, bones that were mega dead. He asked me, son of man. Can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, only you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and I will, you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The prophecy in Ezekiel is there's a valley of dead people. And those dead people were going to have God's spirit breathed over them. The resurrection spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And those valleys of dry bones are going to come back to life. That's the gospel. The gospel is dead people coming to life. The gospel is the interruption of our death sentence. But we've cleverly made it about sin and actually missed the bigger picture which is death so when people say to me and I only had it on Thursday I did a funeral on Thursday 
And somebody said to me, on the only few, we were outside waiting for the hearse to arrive, and somebody said to me, well, I don't need religion because I, I am a good person. I get it a lot. People kind of have the idea that church is only filled with people that are bad people and that good folk don't really need to come. That's kind of weird, upside-down mentality that people try to convince me is true. Jesus interrupts our death penalty. We are on death row, and Jesus interrupts it. I've got a couple of boxes, and there's an issue that we hear those stories, you know, the stories of the girl and stories of Jesus' resurrection. We put them in a little box that say they're stories. They're stories of something that happened. So, here we go. In fact, Ben, do you want to hold my box of happened? So we end up having this box of stories They're stories that you've heard as a child. They're stories that you've read in your Bible. They're stories of things that have happened. The problem with stories that happen, they go neatly in a box. They sit there, but they don't change anything. Because it's all about what has happened in the past. It's what has been done in the past. So we end up remembering these stories of resurrections. We end up reading the stories of Jesus' miracles. And they all become this box of happened. That's what happened 2,000 years ago. Now, you wake up on a Monday morning, and what has changed because of those stories? Apart from maybe knowing them better, and I have this slight fear that we kind of come to church on a Sunday, and we're studying for a history exam, and we're collecting in our minds this history lesson about Jesus, and we're knowing all of the stories of the things that happened, like we did when we were at school, when we learned history. And they're kind of, we're taking them in. But what we're doing, rather than becoming followers of Jesus, we're just becoming historians. Historians are people that know history really well. And if you know all the stories about Jesus, including the stories of resurrection, but they end up going in a box that says, well, that's what happened 2,000 years ago, then we become nothing but religious historians. And unfortunately, I think there are churches full and I don't mean this in the, you end up sounding really judgmental very quick, don't you? But I'm just fearful of my own tribe that as Church of England, we're full of historians that know stories of Jesus, but don't know what they mean for our lives. And unless we take those stories and turn them into stories, Harriet, happy birthday. Unless they become stories of stories that happen, then nothing will change. The story of the little girl isn't just a story that happened 2,000 years ago. It's a story that happens. Stories of resurrections aren't just stories that happened. They're stories that happen. They happen in multiple different ways around us all the time. Some of them are more kind of spiritual kind of awakenings, and sometimes it's more life and death transformed kind of stuff. I think I've told you this story. Uh, here we go. I told you this story before. You can hold those on your knees. But I, that'd be great. And as I leave these boxes, I just want you to think. The, the box have happened. It's a closed box. Because that's just what happened. But actually, the, the box that happens or the, uh, is happening is open. Because we can start, we can keep adding to it. Uh, a number of years ago, and there was these two ladies on the screen. On the left, you've got Fiona. On the right, you've got Rosie. Rosie heads up the prayer ministry at Spring Harvest. And uh, Fiona had been diagnosed with a terminal uh, cancer. 
She'd been told she literally had weeks left to live. And she decided that the, the one place she wanted to go in the last few weeks was Butlins in Minehead. She wanted to come to Spring Harvest. Like if, I'm thinking if I could go anywhere, it probably was somewhere hot. Anyway, she decides she wants to come to Spring Harvest one last time. And they put things in place so this lady that's got this terminal illness could come and spend one of her last weeks uh, at Spring Harvest. They put it in place and they agree with Rosie that she'd be on hand if she needed to be on hand. Midnight or one o'clock in the morning, something like that, Rosie gets a phone call midway through the week saying that Fiona has really turned and she's maybe not going to make it through the night. So uh, Rosie goes around to her chalet, she goes in and there's the family and Fiona, her breathing has really dipped and it looks like she is going to die. And over the next couple of hours, Rosie sits with her and she slowly fades and she dies. And uh, she dies and the family go off and they're making phone calls. They need to, to uh, kind of put things in place uh, to come and pick uh, up Fiona. And Rosie talks about sitting in this chalet, middle of the night, and just saying, Lord, have you had enough? Is this it for Fiona? Are you, are you done with her? And she found the Lord say to her, my plans for her are not done yet. My plans for her are not done. So Rosie, who lives with a box wide open called Happens, knowing that the resurrection means there are unending possibilities, doesn't take death from cancer as the last laugh. So Rosie, and uh, she is an absolute hoot. I love this woman to bits. She is one of those wonderful, crazy charismatics. And she just starts praying for Fiona and saying, Lord, if you're not done with her, then wake her up from this sleep now. Like the little girl in the story, wake her up from the sleep. And Rosie tells this story about Fiona waking back up, coming back to life. In fact, this picture was taken four years after um, when she didn't die that night, but she ended up going home. The cancer ended up shrinking. She had, a, a, I think, a bit more chemotherapy, and she is now being clean. Not, not clean, I don't think that's the right word. She's in remission, and it's not the right word. There's technical terms here that I just don't have because I'm not trained in that kind of way. Um, but Rosie prays for her, and four years later, she comes back to Spring Harvest. And this picture was taken a number of years ago now, and uh, at this point, she's ended up going back to her church. She's been well, and she's been uh, leading on different ministries at her church. God had another plan. But if you lived in a world where the box was, the box is closed, those things happened 2,000 years ago and they don't happen today, then you wouldn't have dared pray for anything different. But because Rosie lived in a world that said these things happen, there's potential and hope and there might be something that could happen. I was talking to one of our friends at Believers on Tuesday who was telling me that he'd, he'd basically been drinking uh, for about 14 years. And over those 14 years, he was killing himself. And the doctors had told him that if he carried on going the way he was going, that within six months he would be dead. He'll, he'll have pickled his liver and he'd be dead. And she, he ends up going to uh, AA. And whilst at AA, he doesn't really think it's working. But at AA, he meets a group of Christians who end up just praying for him and praying that God would help him with his addiction. And he talks about coming out of this addiction and over a period of time being free from the alcohol uh, ism in his life. He ends up being free. But then he said there was a bigger miracle that happened in his life, a bigger resurrection than going from being an addict to not. And the biggest resurrection was when he met Jesus. 
And he actually ended up becoming a Christian. And that change in him was a far bigger change than the one from his addiction. So although it was his addiction that was killing his body, he was just saying that actually there were other things in his life that were killing his soul. So the resurrection just didn't just happen. It happens. And it happens as people move from being addicts to being free. It's as people realize that they're dying emotionally inside. They're exhausted. They're weary. Um, we all have little cassette tapes playing in our heads. So when you were a kid, it might be that somebody said something to you that has just got trapped in your head like a little seed. Then over the years, it's been watered and it's grown. And you've now got this impression of yourself that's coming out of not an identity that God's giving you, but an identity you've given yourself or somebody's given you. And my, my big example is football. I was told when I was young... You're just not very sporty, Chris. Uh, You're not really a footballer. I have no idea if I was good or not. I I don't even remember now who said that to me. But I was told that you're, you're just not a footballer. Which means I don't even go to football matches. I don't even bother watching the football because I'm not really sporty. But we all have had things that have been planted in our heads that tell us something about who we are. Can anybody kind of associate with that? Can anybody understand that? Have you had that where somebody spoke at a few of us? But there is this, this danger that there are things going on inside of us that we maybe don't see on the outside, but we are dying inside. Either by the way that we see ourselves, the way that we think about ourselves, and therefore the decisions that we make. And I, 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 I end up using this as my constant example because it is just where I was and my story. You know, at the age of 14, 15, end up finding my granddad's son newspapers and tearing out those page three and that was where my porn addiction started with the page three magazine from the sun newspaper um and then as the years went by and i could get hold of floppy disks we were then trading floppy disks in uh, kind of at art college and then when broadband you know dial-up came in that was our like whole moving gifs images that was a whole new breakthrough in pornography and then by the time i hit university like years had passed now but i was still trapped in something and it was, you know, I got to 21, 22, and I'm still using and consuming pornography. And I was putting things on my computer to try and help me from not getting to it. I thought if I could put enough little things on my computer, I won't get to it. But the problem was, if you want something in your heart enough, you'll, you'll work out how to use proxy servers. I got very clever by somebody who's not very technologically aware. I worked out how to do lots of things on the internet to get around stuff. If your heart is craving something... Either something gives you life or something that doesn't give you life. If you're craving something, then your heart will help you find it. And I found myself at the age of 22 just totally trapped in this situation of pornography. And I I realized that I needed something to shift that and change that. And the only thing that could change it was the resurrection. The unending possibilities that something could change. Do you live with a world where your perspective towards resurrection is something that happened, or is it something that happens? Because depending on which perspective you have towards these stories and what God is doing in the world, it will radically change what your Monday morning looks like. If you think the best has happened, and that God has done all that God is going to do, then when you wake up on Monday morning, there's a sense of a little bit of hopeless. Monday is going to be exactly the same as Friday. Because it's all happened, it's done, That's the, we've had the best. But if you live with a perspective of resurrection that anything could happen, at any moment, God could change the cards on the table, and you live by the resurrection happens, 
then your Monday becomes hopeful in that anything could happen today. Which is the perspective that you're living by? Because there's a slight danger for us that we, we become so aware of these stories that we're almost inoculated by them. We just know they're great stories and we lose the beauty and the radicalness of the resurrection. What does the resurrection mean to you? Which is these two perspectives are you living by? You could pop them by your feet now. Are you living by a closed box where these things have happened? Are you living with a box that's wide open and it happens? I just want to go back to this thing about we make it about being a good person. It's not about being a bad person, but it's about being a dead person. Neither is it about being a good person, but it's about being a alive person. The resurrection was not about uh, primarily sin and how badly we've behaved. The resurrection was about you and I living life to the full. The resurrection is about you and I encountering a God of life where we move to a place where everything is hopeful and everything can change. Do you approach God as if it's about being a good person? Or do you approach God as being somebody who's dead? And you can be dead in many ways, can't you? You can be dead in many, many ways. A number of years ago, I sat with a guy who was a heroin addict. Like, he was living, he had a pulse, but because of the stuff that he put into his body, he was like a skeleton. He was a dead person right in front of me. It's possible to be physically alive, but spiritually dead. It's possible to have a pulse, but yet not be alive. It's possible to be a religious person, who believes in Jesus, but still be bound by and trapped by death. I was on the tube the other week, um, I think it was a week before Easter, and I don't know who it was, I was trying to suss it out, but somebody got on the tube, and it was pretty obvious they got dog turd on their shoe. And the previous week, I'd been on the tube, and some lady, I'm thinking it was a woman, had come on with this beautiful perfume, and she just filled the carriage of the train with this beautiful perfume aroma. I was trying to suss out who basically had this lovely perfume. Oh, do you look like the kind of person that might have that perfume? Well, about a week later, I had the same scenario, but the other way around. Somebody definitely had dog turd. And I'm sat on the train. I'm thinking, well, it could be me, so let's not be too judgmental. So I'm doing that thing where I'm trying to check the bottom of my shoes without anybody else kind of seeing if it was me or not. But somebody around me had the stench of death, and it stunk, and it was awful. What's dead for you? What smells of death for you? Your faith isn't about you becoming a good person. It's about you becoming an alive person. It's about you becoming alive. Where are you dead? Are you dead in your thinking? Do you have those thoughts in your mind that says, I'm no good. Everybody looks at me funny. They don't like me. You have these thoughts in your mind like a cassette that's constantly telling you you're not as valued as others. You're not as smart as others. You're not as clever as others. You don't know as much as others. Or is it death in your hearts? Is it where you've been hurt before and you don't want to be hurt again, so you don't want to put yourself in another relationship where you're going to get hurt? You might have made your mind up that you don't want to be loved again or love again because you've been hurt too much. It might be that your heart has become a little bit hardened to others and you've got compassion fatigue and you're weary from helping others all the time. 
Is it that your hands are dead, that you're, you're clinging onto what you've got, holding onto what is yours? If it's mine, it's mine. You're protecting what you have. Or you just look at your grave clothes that you've got. Oh, I'm not done yet. Don't worry. I'm midway free. <laughs> Give me a sec. Look at your grave clothes. What is it that the grave clothes represent to you? Is it something in the way that you think? Is it something about your heart and what's going on inside of you? Is it something in the way that you control what you have? What is your grave clothes? What is it that's bringing you the stench of death? It's possible to come to church and to be still wrapped in our grave clothes. Lazarus is called out of that tomb, isn't he? And we're told that he comes out of the tomb and he's still wrapped in his grave clothes. And Jesus says to everybody, get around him, pull the grave clothes off him, set him free from the grave clothes. It's possible to believe in Jesus and be encountering his resurrection, but still clothing ourselves in old ways of thinking. You still see yourself in the same way you did before you met with Jesus. You still behave towards your future in the same way as you did before you met with Jesus. You're just thinking in old ways of thinking rather than thinking in new resurrection ways. So your grave clothes can represent fear, lies that you've told yourself, anger that you have, things that you've done in private that just kind of bind you and, and trap you. What is it that your grave clothes represent that are still just clinging on and bringing death? There's um, a bit that I did this morning that I'm not going to do tonight, but I, was, I talked this morning about what is the proof in the resurrection. There's some key bits in the Bible where the Bible kind of just gives us a clue that the resurrection really did happen. One of the things that I talked about this morning, a massive clue in the resurrection, is the fact that John tells us that when uh, they enter the tomb, the grave clothes were folded. Now, if you were a grave robber and you were stealing a body 2,000 years ago... Uh, the way that you would embalm a dead body was you get the dead body, you would wrap them, and in between the layers of wrapping, you would embalm it with oils, and you'd put in all the perfumes, and it would become this, this cocoon crust. And the cocoon crust would kind of hold in all of the rotting smells, and as the body rotted, the cocoon would kind of rot with it. Um, so if you were to go into a tomb and try to take the grave clothes off, it was a bit of a messy business. So if you were a grave robber, would you take the body with the grave clothes, or would you take the body without the grave clothes? You take it with you, you. You wouldn't have time to start unwrapping it and then folding it up. There's a massive clue in the passage that Jesus rose again because his grave clothes, they were folded. The resurrection happened, and it's a big clue to this body was not stolen. Lazarus had to take off his grave clothes. The grave clothes become grace clothes. When we take off the grave clothes, we have to put on a new garment. In fact, Isaiah talks about it as a garment of praise, doesn't it? Not a spirit of despair. So I want you to just look at that grave clothes for a moment again. What is it that the, the, these clothes represent for you? And we're going to practice resurrection on ourselves. It didn't just happen, it happens. And one of the things that we have to do when Jesus calls us out of the tomb, we have to take off those old ways of thinking we can't cling on to them Ben is going to come and just lead us uh, in a song and he's going to sing this over us 
And just as he's singing this over us, all I'm going to invite you to do is to slowly unwrap the grave clothes and dump them on the floor as a way of saying, yeah, Lord, I don't want the stench of death over me. And if there are places in my life where I've yet to see you bring resurrection, it might be over past hurts and relationships that you have had that are just holding you back. It it may be over worries or concerns or anxieties that you have got then just allow yourself to peel it off and say, Jesus, I don't want this. I'm going to drop this on the floor. So as Ben uh, sings to us, I'm just going to pray. Father God, we so easily slip into a mentality that behaves as if the resurrection happened and that is it. So we don't pray. We don't seek miracles. We don't hope for things to change. We stop praying for the sick because we we just live in a box that says it happened, not happens. Father, we want to move away from those religious ways of thinking, that relationship way of thinking where you could do anything at any moment because you're on our side. Father, maybe where we have got trapped in old ways of thinking, Lord, would you lead us by your spirit to a waking up moment where we, we can approach these stories as things that continue to happen. Lord, would we not be cynical? Lord, would we not hide behind uh, disbelief? But Lord, would we walk in the fullness of life belief that these things still happen today. So Lord, we pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, as we wrap these robes off us and take them off, Father, would the same happen in our minds and our hearts, around our hands? Would we be free from the stench of death? So Lord, we pray, come Holy Spirit.